0: Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser, and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello, and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And today on the show, I feel like we have a special guest. When I started this podcast, I started it because I wanted to interview advertisers in this space, people who were really using podcast advertising, and talk to them about how they were able to really make success of the medium. And I found that it was a little bit more challenging than I expected because a lot of people have spent time and energy. Brands focus a lot on how to make podcast advertising successful and not everyone is willing to share all the details. However, Martha Gallant from Helix Sleep, the Growth Marketing Manager at Helix Sleep is here with us today. And while I am sure she is not going to share all of her secrets, she is going to share with us some details about how they have been able to make podcast advertising successful for them so welcome to the show Martha I'm really excited to have you on today
1: thank you Heather great to be
0: here so I was hoping that you could start by telling us just a little bit about how you ended up at um, helix sleep maybe just give us just a quick snapshot of uh, your career and what has gotten you here today
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, I ha- was very lucky to end up at Helix about two and a half years ago, coming from a background in kind of marketing analytics and operations. A lot of lot of dashboards built, a lot of fun stuff there, as well as partnerships, marketing, and customer retention marketing. So those kind of married themselves together in a really nice way to join this role, which kind of is grounded in partnerships-based marketing with a very analytical and performance-driven goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I like that you are so analytics driven. And I know that when you and I have worked together, that has been a really important piece for you is that analytics piece. Would you say that you've taken a lot of that into Helix with you?
1: Yes. We committed to a lot of time, a lot of energy, some investment in really strong understandings of, of how all this is operating. A lot of it just lives in a somewhat sophisticated excel dashboard nothing crazy but a lot of time spent you know making the data talk to each other in a really good way marrying together our media plan our web data and what we hear from customers as well as our entire exported shopify data so it all talks to each other and we see who's able to who's able to talk to people in in a way that makes sense and who's able to convert customers and really generate interest as well as who's able to drive people to our website. Those folks obviously tie into our other marketing channels. We have really important work that goes on in in other spaces of marketing as well. Seeing how it all plays together has been really important for us. And we've taken a lot of time to put that together.
0: Mm -hmm. Very cool. Were you guys doing, was Helix doing podcast advertising before you joined the team?
1: Yes, we were with we were with Oxford Road, an agency that was um, doing a really great job for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. And so, when you came into your position, did you expect that podcasting was going to play a really large role in what your day to day work was like?
1: I joined with the goal of, of taking over radio and podcast. We were in the process of migrating a lot of our marketing efforts in house wherever we could to help us work more more cross functionally. You know, an agency can be absolutely. Incredible, but they're not going to A B test the landing pages that you're sending people to. So we wanted to get everyone really, really invested in the customer journey from the second that they hear about Helix all the way to when they're post purchase telling their friends about Helix. So that was part of the effort there. I was brought in specifically to do radio and podcasts after migrating away from our agency.
0: Mm -hmm. Excellent. And I'm curious, is there a reason why Helix has gravitated so strongly toward podcasting? Well, it's so funny.
1: I feel like there's so many jokes and, and memes and tweets about selling a mattress on a podcast, I know that it is just such a cliche. I love podcast advertising. I think it's you know such a great option for so many different brands, different products, different companies. But I do think that a, a mattress really does lend itself extremely well. It's not niche. I, I hope that everyone in America sleeps on a mattress every night. So in that sense, it's just a really phenomenal fit in terms of opportunities available. But it's also it's also something that people really want to hear someone else say, hey, I slept on this. It feels nice. I got a good night's sleep. My husband didn't hate it. Things like that um, really matter. If you if you were buying a mattress and, and, and your friend told you those things, you would be pretty on board too. a podcast is kind of as close as you can get to a, a friend recommending it to you sometimes.
0: Yeah. I love that you said that because I really do feel to me, gosh, from the very beginning of my career, when I started in radio advertising, I would go into companies and I would be like, Hey, you should run ads for your company on radio. And they would say, no, word of mouth works best. So for years and years, that's what I've been hearing is word of mouth works best. And now in podcast advertising, really, in my opinion, podcast advertising is just amplified word of mouth because you know that word of mouth, of course is successful, but you have no control over the quantity of that messaging that's out there, right? And so with podcast advertising, it's the closest thing to it. And it also, I think, really relies very heavily as a host-read medium as being very influencer marketing-based. And I don't think that podcast advertising is seen as influencer marketing often enough. I'm curious what your perspective on that is.
1: Uh, it's a Venn diagram with a lot of crossover. Honestly, we, we mostly launched and scaled the channel using the exact learnings that we took from our podcasts. We looked for sales partners who did business with us in a way that made sense for our goals. Uh, people who just, just understood what we meant when we were talking about performance and were showing signs that they're willing to collaborate with you and put together campaigns that work. And then on the creator side, podcasters are influencers. Influencers are often becoming podcasters. Almost every week, some big influencer is coming out with some big podcast. You really can't look at the two channels as unrelated. Another thing to consider is if you're really going for a partnership, an endorsement here, and you are not, frankly, protecting your campaign by being on their other channels, the the downside is you you, you risk losing that category, frankly. If you run a category where you want exclusivity, Make sure that you're, you're checking out for that on their other platforms. That's willing to consider. But honestly, the upside is, is a lot more meaningful than that. And the upside is you get to really amplify your message and be a huge part of someone's voice by being on multiple channels with them. So fundamentally, the two marketing channels have a ton in common. And then even when you look within a campaign, you can almost double some of your campaigns by bringing them across um, to the influencer space in some sense, you know, do they have an Instagram presence? Are they simulcast on YouTube? Uh, do they have a, a random YouTube channel? Are they on TikTok? Who isn't? So things like that are, are always an opportunity. And the learnings uh, from working in podcast and, and radio somewhat as well, really do tie over to, to that as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really great to hear. Cause I totally agree. And I think, you know, the audience obviously is, is you're, you're going to have crossover. And I also think you make a really good point, especially when you're in as competitive an industry as mattresses, you do want to make sure that you're locking in some of that inventory and that you're getting um, your voice heard across multiple channels. And it sounds like that's really important to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it would be rare that you would have that level of kind of intense, competitive exclusivity issues. We generally don't deal with that. We are a category where you do need to try to establish a little bit of exclusivity because you're not gonna have 14 different brands of mattresses in your home, and at least not that you're talking about. We do have to protect that a little bit, but in order for for it to be worth it for a show to do that, we need to be a great partner because if we're asking for them to really get on board with us, be exclusive, use the product, endorse it, we need to make sure that we're providing a great product, a great customer service experience, um, and a really good, good partnership that's fair to them. They're compensated in a fair way. The terms are fair and everything because it really has to go both ways if you're asking a lot of your partner.
0: Right, and I know that creating good partnerships is really important for you. Um, as you know somebody who talks to a lot of different companies, I know that kind of getting back to what you said, like there's all those memes out there about podcast ads and mattresses and stuff. And you know podcasters will say things like, oh, I didn't get any money, but I got a mattress however i will say there are lots of mattress companies out there that don't actually give the host a mattress it's more rare than you might think oftentimes the show might need to be a certain size or the Biden might need to be a certain size but i think one of the things that's really unique about helix is that you give a mattress to everyone you work with is that the case
1: that is the case some shows have four hosts and like my gosh four people get a mattress it's not cheap uh but on an unrelated note Um, I, I think that if you can't afford to tip well, when you go to a restaurant, don't go there. Uh, if you can't afford to get someone set up for success with the campaign, don't do the campaign, do fewer campaigns, only work with larger shows so that you're spending less of as a percentage of your spend on the product, do whatever it takes so that when you do approach a partnership, you're setting it up for success. So if you're not, if you're not going to go all the way in terms of setting them up for a great campaign and you're taking a performance driven approach, then just don't do the campaign, Mm -hmm. do a different one, do fewer campaigns. Mhm
0: yeah I think that's so so smart I really appreciate that and and what I also like is When we're looking at podcasts and creating good relationships and just influencers in general, my experience has been that there are advertisers out there that are like, I'm gonna test with an ad or I'm gonna test with a couple ads and maybe they'll sample their product, maybe they won't. How invested is that influencer in that campaign? They're like, well, I guess they're gonna run one ad. They're not gonna put a lot of energy or thought or intention behind the ad read when they don't feel like it's a partnership. and. I really try to always encourage advertisers to approach every buy like a partnership because if that host sees that you care enough about them and that you see real value in what they can provide, then they're going to reciprocate. And it seems to me like that's something you understand and it's really been effective for you. Is that the case?
1: Yes and no. So a couple thoughts there. We ran pretty extensive research on the tests that we've run we had a really interesting finding, which was that we actually have almost all the information that we need to know after a a two integration test. So our sales partners don't love that. They love the idea of four, six, eight integrations to kick things off. And we also have this goal of a really, really happy long-term partnership. So how do I marry the fact that the data saying I only need two ads, but the partnership is saying, hey, that's not really enough to get people excited to work with you. Um, And that's where it goes from being a science to an art, because the data says one thing, the partner says another thing. How do you make that work? So it really depends on, it depends on the partner. It depends on the show within that, that sales partner, that network, and uh, depends on kind of our budget and everything. You know, we're trying actually to stick to sometimes two ads, but my thoughts there are oftentimes a really great show to work with is going to understand that. The goal here, even if we're kicking it off with two ads, the goal here is to run. We have, we have shows we run on for six years. The goal here is to run forever. Obviously, you know, that's contingent on performance, but that is very much the goal that we're all marching towards. So very often a show is on board with that. When we're working with a sales network, sometimes we're able to say, hey, we can do two or three ads on six shows. If you really need us to to, to do more, then we can only test three or four shows. So what a scale... What do you want skill to look like as a sales partner? Do you want it to be a deeper partnership on fewer shows or a shallower test across more shows to hopefully lead to more partnerships long-term? And that's just where it becomes a conversation and a preference across the different networks. We've had all kinds of different conversations around that because we always express that the goal is very much a long-term partnership, but that we're also performance-driven. It's not a partnership for fun. It's our job. We, we just balance that. And we've we've had a ton of different outcomes Uh, Sometimes we get really great price efficiencies. So we do a lot more. Sometimes someone's in extremely high demand. And if we don't do it, we don't book all eight now. We're never going to get them. Sure. But we're also very data driven. So we try to stick to what we know is really important for us, which is that we can predict with a pretty high level of accuracy, six and 12 month performance within 60 days.
0: That is amazing to me. I'm always impressed when I hear that. And I also know that you are performance-based as you've been mentioning One of the reluctancies I think often of new brands getting into this space is that they are so concerned about whether or not a campaign is going to perform. And as you mentioned, obviously some shows do perform really well, some shows don't perform as well. I'm curious, how do you go about selecting shows that you think are actually going to perform well? Do you think that is more art or is that science for you by this point?
1: It's art, but there's a little bit of strategy there. So we tend to take one of three approaches. I am in fantastic company and there are many very smart brands doing similar work. We we have friends of different brands. We also have access to some data that helps with this. Sometimes we say, hey, this is working for, for four brands who we really respect Let's see if they're interested in trying out a Helix mattress. So we follow other really smart brands. Sometimes they really align with us. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're a a totally unrelated product. We just know these are really smart marketers. And then we also dive deeper within successful content areas. So let's say, and this is purely for example, purposes only. Let's say we get on a bowling podcast and it's absolutely explosive. Our cost per session is incredible. ROAS is really strong. We say, hey, let's get on all the bowling podcasts. And we expand there again, this is purely, for example, we truly don't run on bowling podcasts, but, and then we also, we have really fantastic relationships with a lot of great sales partners. They come to us and they say, Hey, this show's new, check it out. This would be a good fit for you. Oftentimes existing shows have spin-off shows. The host is already onboarded. The performance is already there. We scale with that new show, but it's incredibly reliable, or they have a brand new show launching. That's interesting or they say, we hadn't talked about this show before, but this is really working for a couple other brands. I think it would be a good fit for you. And they're interested in Helix. So we're so lucky to have a lot of good partnerships where we're often served some great opportunities on a silver platter.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great info, for sure. And how do you measure results from a campaign? Once an ad has run, how do you know that it's, it's actually been successful for you?
1: Yeah, so we marry together our web data, which is really important. Our landing pages, we're always iterating on those. We do look at promo code usage somewhat. And then we also have some post-purchase consumer research surveys that go out that tie into things uh, as well. So um, fundamentally, I think everyone's going to have a little bit of a different approach. If you run a really really great, compelling discount, promo codes are probably the way to go. So everyone's going to have a little bit of a different approach. But what I've seen is you really need to have at least two sources that you're looking at. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you're going to miss, you're going to get false negatives. Uh, and I call it looking for money behind the couch cushions, which is where I just, I'm like, where can I find performance? Because I really want to renew this show. Uh, we do that a lot. And we, we look at kind of performance anywhere we can, um, especially relying on a lot of web data, which we've really invested in. Mm-hmm.
0: Are you guys doing um, much with pixel tracking and the attribution partners in this space? We are not.
1: We're intrigued by it. But I think so. First of all, I think that the data that it captures often needs a a pretty sizable multiplier on it. So, you know, let's say that they say we accurately captured 50% of listeners, but then also I think that pixel-based tracking would lend itself extremely well to a quicker purchase. We we are a very long consideration item. We get revenue from campaigns that we ended three years ago on a very regular basis. And that's where I think pixel-based tracking gets a little tougher. Because people are clicking around, they're asking on a Facebook group, they're Googling, they're going to a blog post talking about the 10 best mattresses for your back pain. They are doing everything you can think of before finally clicking purchase on a Helix mattress, uh, as they should. You do all the research you possibly can. That's exactly the customer journey we want, but that doesn't really lend itself well to pixel-based tracking. I think that's better for a shorter, simpler customer journey.
0: Mm -hmm. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I'm curious how long so you said like you have gotten conversions from people where you ran ads three years ago. Are you tracking that through the promo codes?
1: More through URLs. Uh, we keep all of our URLs live. We've seen a lot of oh. other brands turn off URLs the second they turn off a campaign. I think that's a huge missed opportunity. So we we will keep the landing pages live. We'll keep the promo codes live forever. Almost I, or, you know, indefinitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we had a situation at our house where we moved into a new home and a product started arriving in the mail that interested my son. And it's a podcast advertiser. It's a company that's advertised with us quite a bit. And he's mom. I love this. You need to get it for me. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll get it for you. Um, and I knew that this company had advertised with us in December. So we're recording this in May. And so I was like, I might as well go ahead and give my podcast credit for this right I'm gonna go on this this landing page and do the order through the landing page and it was dead (laughs) and I was it hasn't been that many months and this is an advertiser that's been in this space for quite a long time and truthfully I was pretty shocked that it, it was dead and so I, I really just second that there it doesn't hurt you to keep it open and, and the other thing truthfully I wasn't necessarily even looking for a discount if I had clicked on the page and it had just taken me even to the homepage, right? Like I would still have proceeded with my buy. More than anything, I was like, "Hey, I want to give my advert or uh, my podcaster credit for this product." And I thought that was so interesting. And I really do believe that something advertisers should be doing. And I don't understand why they turn them off. It doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. if you're listening, keep your landing
1: page. <laughs> on keep your landing page on send products. Um, and what happens when you keep the landing page on? We. On a very regular basis, take a look at shows that we've sunsetted and we see if, if any kind of latent revenue has come in and we renew campaigns all the time. We are, the door is never closed. We are always coming back and saying, Hey, you know, we were wrong. We're full of regret knocking on your door. Let's get back on the show. And we, we do that all the time, but based on performance, um, we would never do that if we hadn't set up the infrastructure to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think you
0: make such a good point. Buying a mattress is very different than maybe buying um, a small consumer good product, right? Like it it does the life cycle of your purchase and of your customer's journey. All of those things really do play into the approach that you're going to take with podcast advertising. So I think that's definitely important to look at, but I just don't see that it takes really any effort to leave the landing page live. So I would encourage you to do that.
1: It takes more effort to take it down
0: (laughs) it does right yeah that's a really good point so i'm curious when you think about putting together talking points for your shows one of the things that i hear from podcasters a lot is man this company gave me so many talking points obviously going back to the whole word of mouth the authenticness of the ad read how do you balance giving hosts or influencers enough copy or enough talking points to make a really good ad without giving them so much that they feel overwhelmed by what you're asking them to say?
1: That's a great question because if you're buying a 60 second ad and you give them 60 seconds of content, and then you say, endorse it too, when on earth are they supposed to do that in the ad? I see this happen a lot with some other brands and we have, we've taken, we, we really hope that this is a way that partners enjoy, but what we do is uh, keep the required talking points very light. They're very light. They just say that the most exciting parts of our brand, which is really the variety of mattresses that we have. A lot of other mattress companies are you know great products, but they're kind of a one size fits all solution. So we say, Hey, really talk about the fact that you're going to take a sleep quiz and an algorithm is going to match you to the very best mattress for you. There's a ton of different options. And then you'll have an easy experience from there in a hundred night sleep trial, and you'll be, you know, guaranteed a good experience. How long did that take me? Six seconds? Very quick. And outside of that, they have a lot of optional talking points that they can look through and think, okay, what's important to me here. In addition, we give some inspiration for what makes a really great endorsement because people might not think of what's great, but it's really only there for them to to lean on. So people may not think, oh, we love it when you say that your spouse loves it or that it's an improvement over what you used to have or something like that. So we just, we offer some inspiration in terms of talking points and in terms of the endorsement itself that is really only there to facilitate whatever they want to say. It's a lot It's a lot of options, but they just pick and choose. It also, when we run partnerships that run for five, six years, it gives them variety so that they can mix things up themselves versus us sending out, okay, here's our May script. Here's our June script because it's the same mattress the whole time, guys. So we really let them take the ownership there, but we keep the requirements really low. And that has really helped them make the ad what they want. If they make the ad what they want and it's really something that's not working for us, We give thoughtful, detailed, creative feedback for them to implement the next time. We don't, that's not make good territory. We don't have a strict script and we just kind of let them do their thing.
0: So really it's giving them those thoughtful pieces in the talking points because I, I do, and you make a really good point, if an advertiser, or I'm sorry, if a podcaster is going to be running with you for a long time, it can be pretty difficult to think of new ideas for the ad read. So I think giving them that inspiration is really good, but keeping those points fairly succinct will allow them to essentially make the ad their own, which is really the important part. I I mean, obviously getting across your unique selling proposition is so important and so valuable, but the reason that the podcast ads are powerful is because of the host and we want them to lean on their knowledge of their audience and just their style, right? And so it sounds like you've had success with that.
1: Yes. We've had a lot of success with that. To put it succinctly, what they need to do is small and what they can do is large they have, I don't know, three lines that they have to do, probably 20 lines that they could choose from if it's relevant to their life to include. Mm -hmm.
0: I I have heard multiple times that the quality of the ad read can have a very big impact on the results. Have you found that to be true? Yes, very,
1: very much. And you know, that ties into, like we were talking about a few minutes ago, send products, get endorsement, make sure that before you start the partnership, before you send the IO that they are actually excited about your brand. They want the product and they are excited to talk about it because that's the very foundation of a good ad read. And then within that, are they compelling? Is it exciting? Is it authentic to them? Um, if they totally switch gears from their usual you know, podcast mode and they switch and turn into this animated thing that they weren't before, that's not going to be authentic. So are their ads authentic to them? Do, do they endorse? Do they talk about their connection to the product? How it's impacted their life? Um, those are all just extremely important. And you can screen for that kind of stuff, you know, listen to the other ads they do for other good brands. It's going to, it's going to depend on the product. There are some things that you, you can't endorse so they don't lend themselves to it, but just see, you know, what, what do you need? And do they do it for other brands? Because if they do it for other brands, they'll do it for you. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think that's really wise advice. Now, I know that Helix has been really, I, I would say, attached to embedded or baked in ads. And I know as an industry, certainly, you know, there there is no debating that baked in embedded ads do typically perform better than dynamic. But as the industry does move more toward dynamic ad insertion, because you have experienced so much success with podcast advertising, I guess I'm just curious what your thoughts about dynamic insertion are and how you are thinking about trying to position dynamic to be successful for you.
1: Oh my gosh. I could talk about dynamic insertion until the cows come home. So I'll share a couple of thoughts. We would lose out on a lot of opportunity, including a lot of successful partnerships if we said no to, to, to dynamic ads. We say yes to dynamic ads. We have some baked in ads that do not perform. We have some dynamic ads that perform incredibly well. So um, there's no hard and fast rule here and you have to keep an open mind. Think about the partnership holistically. Are you getting a a, a lukewarm endorsement-free boring old script read baked in ad? Don't do that. Get a good ad that's dynamically inserted. You'll definitely get better results. It, It needs to be one of many factors as you could consider the partnership. So that's one thought. And then also, I think that people have a few different conceptions of what dynamic insertion looks like. You know, we picture a baked in ad as if, you know, you, Heather and I are are on the phone right now and you say, okay, thanks, Martha. We're going to, we're going to switch over to our ad right now. And then you do your 60 second ad read and it's all part of the recording and it'll never go away. There's, there's no pixel enabled way to take out the ad. And it's going to live there forever. And in 50 years, when someone listens to this episode, it's still there. So that's that's true baked in ads. And those do not exist. And then we also picture dynamic insertion being, you know, you record some robotic producer read 30 second ad, and you put it in 100% of ad spots for a one week flight period or something. That's not what a dynamic ad can be. There's so much room in the middle including a lot of ads are kind of hybrid, obviously. So uh, a really great hybrid ad feels like it's part of the episode. It's inserted on an episodic basis. You know, it's in Tuesday's episode. It doesn't appear in Thursday's episode. It doesn't appear in next week's episode. And, and then let's say you bought 100,000 impressions on your IO, maybe that ad runs until it hits 100,000 impressions or for 90 days, whichever is higher. So you have some upside as a buyer, but the, the seller can go ahead and, and sell that, that back catalog later down the road, when once they've given you at the very least what you paid for, if not more. So that kind of of dynamic insertion hybrid ad is fantastic. And I think it's more fair to the media creators themselves. It's not fair for me to get 10 times what I paid for because a ton of people come and listen to this episode later. That's just not fair. And you wouldn't go to a clothing store and buy one shirt and, and they give you nine extras and you say this is totally fair for everyone. So it's a similar concept to me where you know, the upside for for you as a buyer is not upside for them as a seller. So I want to make sure that the companies that create really great content are compensated in a way that makes sense. I agree with with the hybrid version of a dynamic ad, but there are also dynamic ads that do run kind of catalog wide. You strictly pay for your 100,000 impressions and then it's gone. We've seen that really work. Uh, We try to keep the flighting lighter to keep it more efficient. So we wouldn't do... We wouldn't be 50% of the ads that you hear because you run the risk of like someone binges six episodes. Oversaturation. Yeah, (laughs) so oversaturation, which is just inefficient. So we keep the flighting very conservative there. And we say, hey, this isn't worth quite as high a CPM to us. Mm -hmm. And we really need it to be a good read. So Mm -hmm. often often we do get a more efficient CPM. Often we are able to uh, provide really, really thoughtful feedback and or approve the read before it goes live. We have some pretty big dynamic buys where they do record a new read for us every month and they run it by us and we make sure that you know if we're if we're paying for something that isn't served in the most effective way possible we're at least really setting it up for success and that helps us be a long-term partner for them so it's really a, a win-win that you work together on making the content great. Mm-hmm.
0: Those are all such great points and I I just really I thank you for sharing all of that because I think you hit the nail on the head and The reality is, is that baked in ads have been around for a long time. But baked in ads also aren't just universally successful just because they're baked in. And it's the same with dynamic. With dynamic, though, there are so many more facets to consider. And I think Really, it just adds to to the complexity overall of purchasing ads, but that doesn't mean they can't be successful. And I always wanna make sure that I'm saying that dynamically inserted ads don't have to be Geico, monster truck type radio sounding ads. They definitely can and should be still host red endorsement ads. And from a listener perspective, if they're done correctly, they shouldn't sound much different. So I always try to just make sure as an industry we see that and and really push that forward um, I know that there's so much targeting that is capable with dynamic insertion, but I know I still see a lot of value in that partnership and in reaching an audience as opposed to trying to really segment it and get down. And I, I find oftentimes when you get really segmented with your audience, the reach isn't great enough to really make that segmenting or that targeting successful. Have you found, or have you had any experiences with that?
1: Yeah, we don't focus on audience targeting. I could see how some products or brands would, but our product is so widely applicable to anyone that we don't really concern ourselves with it. And I think there's no such thing really to, to me, at least as a bad audience, uh, because w- I focus more on the relationship with the host. Everyone at some point in their life is probably going to buy the product that you're selling, but who's going to tell them that, that yours is the great one, is it going to be a Facebook ad? Is it going to be a podcast ad? Is it going to be a podcast ad from a random producer reading something? Is it going to be a podcast ad from a, a host who they love, who they are personally invested in and who they deeply respect mentioning your product? So I don't subscribe too much to audience, audience targeting, audience segmentation. I can see how others would, but at the end of the day, if you're thinking about performance, do you have to pay a 20% premium to target? And if you do, does it improve your, your performance by 20%? Because if, it, if that's how, what happens, then right. you're back to square one, honestly. Yep. And you're making the same results yep. by, and adding complexity to your process. Totally agree.
0: And I think that you hit the nail on the head because I really think that does happen, right? Like you, anytime you add targeting, you're going to increase your costs. And if your performance isn't increasing by the same amount that you're paying for that targeting, is it really even worth it at the end of the day? So I think that's really important. Um, I know that we need to start wrapping it up here, but I am very interested in how you have scaled podcast advertising. So I know that Helix, and really I'm sure a lot of the work that you have personally done at Helix has increased your podcast ad spend fairly significantly since you have been investing in this space. And I think one of the things that I hear frequently is that podcasts aren't scalable. So I guess I'm really curious from your perspective, how have you made podcast advertising scalable?
1: Another favorite topic of mine. I, I have been, first of all, so lucky to be supported by the leadership of my company, by, by budgets, by priorities to have the opportunity to scale podcasts. So I think the, the very first thing that happens here is you're in a company that's bought in, Uh, you're able to create that buy-in and you can run with the opportunities that are out there because there are many opportunities out there to scale. I don't know who said podcast is hard to scale, but I would love to talk to them. That's the first thing. Uh, And we have, depending on the month, we've essentially increased our budget 10 to 15 times. You know, we just, we try a ton of new shows. We test a ton of new shows. Shows that are successful, we increase the frequency. So we expand within our existing shows, within our existing sales partners and within brand new areas. Structurally, how we do this is we agreed as a company on a certain proportion of our monthly budget for podcasts being committed to testing. Let's say it's 30%. Uh, It really varies. I don't even know if that's where we're at these days, but let's say it's that. That is money that you're okay with just losing. Understand that's not going to be the performance that your ongoing shows have because it takes time to really ramp up a show and get strong performance out of it. So commit to that level of testing and fill it every month. Find strong performers and stack them in and keep your ongoing performing shows in an unlimited budget. Because if something is performing according to your business goals, why on earth would there be a limit on that? If it's an opportunity for your company to be growing, then it's essentially limitless, unless you're losing money on podcasts. Only do it if you're growing on podcasts, because we treat podcasts as a growth marketing channel where it has to generate money that fuels our business. Keep your performing budget unlimited. Keep your test budget sizable. And let's say you test 10 shows every month. If you're stacking on two, three, four, five of those every month based on strong performance, before you know it, you're not running on 20 shows. You're running on 100. And then the next year you're running on 200. So um, plug into performance, renew fast and renew often. If you can ever carve out more budget for testing, do it. And just really commit to kind of a certain minimum amount for testing. Also commit to what constitutes a successful test and, and really act on it. Don't kind of mm-hmm. keep it abstract mm-hmm. and say, gosh, you know, the ad reads were nice. Look for your cost per session, look for your cost per ad to cart and, and renew there, but also, you know, nurture the shows. Uh, a show will not just perform forever. If you set it and forget it, it's not a crockpot. Um, so give them creative feedback. If you launch a new product, if you have any new information to share it with them, Um, Keep things interesting wherever you can make sure that you're helping them succeed because they only are dealing with the equipment that you give them so really nurture your existing shows but like very much commit to uh, wider testing
0: that's excellent advice one of the questions I have is do you see diminishing returns so let's say you've got a podcast that is a high performer let's say you run a test it performs you go ahead you commit to a, a longer buy and you're like hey this shows doing really well and then maybe in six months maybe in a year performance gets soft how often are you looking at that show to see that it is continuing to perform and where is that diminishing return where it's like well I think everybody in that audience already has bought a mattress, like anybody who's going to buy has bought. So what does that look like?
1: We generally don't see diminishing returns. We don't think that's fundamental to the partnership. And I think that probably has something to do with our product being something that's a not niche and be a long, a long consideration product. So everyone's going to buy it at some point. Uh, and they're going to think for three years about it sometimes. So we generally don't believe that has to happen for us, I don't want to speak for others. Part of the reason that generally doesn't happen is we do keep flighting on the lighter side. We have sales partners who say, hey, this would do really well if you were on two or three times a month. And we say, we love this partnership, but the best way to keep it going long-term and to help us have budgets to test more opportunities with you is to run it once a month. So we keep the flighting more conservative. Sometimes that means that people who are loyal listeners to a show don't hear their first Helix ad for four months. And we just have to live with that um, because that keeps performance efficient. And we've seen that historically work well for our partnerships, even if it's on the conservative side, we do that. And if we see a a decrease in performance, diminishing returns, often it's something that we can work with the partner on. We can give them creative feedback. We can spice things up there. um, We can identify a specific issue in their copy, or we can speak with our sales partner and say, Hey, we know this has done really well. We know that this will do really well with a bonus. If you have extra inventory coming up, um, we can really boost this and then we can stop worrying about it. And that's, it's really going to depend on the partner, going to depend on the show, the inventory. Obviously it should be fair to everyone, but oftentimes we're able to give the boost that we need and find ways to continue because we have extremely collaborative partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great to hear. And
0: I often think just as a consumer myself, especially I think with a product like a mattress, but depending on the product you have, there are certain times in your life where you need it. If you just bought a mattress or if you don't need a mattress let's say for a couple of months or a couple of years even but how many times I know it's happened to me I feel like several times in my life where I hear about something that I'm really interested in or maybe maybe my interest is even just peaked in it and then I saw like I saw an ad or I heard an ad and then when I want to actually when I'm ready to make a purchasing decision they're gone. And then it's, gosh, I, what was that company? It was so cool, but I can't remember what the name was. Or, so I do think it is so important to have that consistency because just because somebody hears about your product today doesn't mean they're actually gonna make a purchasing decision, right? Cause there's only so many people in the market to purchase your product in any given day. So it's making sure that you're in front of that person when they're ready to make a buying decision. And it seems like that's what this kind of consistent advertising is doing for you.
1: Yeah, it's just kind of staying top of mind we're we're here when you need us. I'm not here to tell you, you need a mattress. You probably don't, but someday you will. And ours are, are pretty great. American made great customer service, tons of different options for everyone. We even offer a plus size mattress for plus size folks. We saw that as a really important opportunity and just good offerings. So you hear that on enough podcasts and uh, you start to understand that, Hey, when I am ready, this is a good option.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Martha, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate all of your insight and I appreciate you, you know, just sharing some really good best practices because podcast advertising is so powerful. Um, and I believe just like all advertising, it does take some work. It does take some thought, but if you can do it in a really thoughtful, calculated way, it, it can produce great results. And it sounds like it has for Helix.
1: Absolutely. It is. It's one of our, one of our core focus areas. And we, I personally have just had such a good time working in this industry. Some, some great friends, some great partners. I've learned so much. I really can't say enough good things about the podcast world. So always happy to be talking about it. Awesome. If people want to connect with you, is there a good place for them to connect? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn, Martha Gallant. Also my email address is just Martha at Always happy to have conversations about what other folks are up to. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on
0: the show. And I wish you much continued success with podcast advertising.
1: Thank you so much, Heather. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.